We're so glad that you're here today. We are in the midst of our series on the family, simply entitled Us. And we are also in this season in, in uh, the church calendar called Common Time or Ordinary Time, which has got to like be the worst name. Um, gives us this impression that this is not really that important, that this is kind of the season somewhere in between stuff that we just kind of hit pause in our life. But it's actually the opposite of that. These are the seasons in between the celebrations of Christmas and Easter and in between these very contemplative times of Advent and Lent where the Lamb of God, Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is actually invading our lives and desiring to transform us, to make us new, to make all things new in our life. And so um, we need to be paying attention in the midst of these ordinary moments where we're living the daily life that we have and how Christ desires to invade those and to transform us. And so it's, it's anything but ordinary in our understanding in, in English language. It's even extraordinary uh, in some ways. I'd like to frame our sharing this morning uh, with one of my favorite prayers from the daily office. Many of you are following along with the daily office. It's this, it's this um, process, this grouping of prayers and scriptures that we read every, every morning. Uh, many of us read it morning and night. Uh, it's, this, it's this thing that we join with millions of people all over the world that are reading these same prayers and reading these same scriptures together. And, and one of my favorite prayers is about the family. And I'd like you to just close your eyes for a moment, and this is really our prayer for you during this season, and just, just receive this prayer, let this soak in a little bit. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who places solitary persons in families, we commend to your continual care the homes in which your people dwell. Put far from them, we beseech you, every root of bitterness the desire for vainglory, and the pride of life. Fill them with faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, and godliness. Knit together in constant affection those who, in marriage, have been made one flesh. Turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents. And so enkindle fervent charity among us all that we may evermore be kindly one to another through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now if you would just, I'm going to put this up on the screen. Would you just join with me and pray this? I want you to think about your spouse, your children. I want you to think about your family, the body of Christ family, that person on your right and that person on your left. And let's pray this over one another this morning. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who places solitary persons in families. We commend to you your continual care, the homes in which your people dwell. Put far from them, we beseech you, every root of bitterness, the desire for vainglory, and the pride of life. Fill them with faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, and godliness. Knit together in constant affection, those who in marriage have been made one flesh. Turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents. And so enkindle fervent charity among us all that we may evermore be kindly one to another 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. If we could just hold on to that, if we could let that absorb in us and we actually do those things, uh, this would be a pretty simple process here this morning. But life is a little more difficult than that, isn't it? It's a little more challenging in the midst of, of ups and downs in our world to be able to walk these prayers out. So we're going to, I'm going to talk when I'm on. Hello. There oh. Okay. We're going to talk this morning about family. What is family? Who is family? If my family of origin has a lot of issues, and I used to have one client say, my family has more issues than People Magazine. <laughs> so if my family of origin has a lot of issues, does that mean I'm scarred for life? Or does that mean I'm gonna pass that on to my children and my children's children? And why does everybody else's family look fabulous? How do they stay on top of everything that needs to be done? They have great relationships with their kids, their extended family. They have nightly prayer and Bible study, and they never have problems. They take their kids on vacation with their parents, and it goes well. They have family mottos and are always there for each other. We decided at Christmas we have a family motto. Our family motto is, but first, coffee. <laughs> Other people look great. Their Instagrams are beautiful. Facebook, they have all of these happy, wonderful stories. But as counselors and people who know a lot of secrets and know a lot about a lot of people, things are not that perfect. In fact, some of the people that look the most perfect on social media have some of the deepest issues. I wish now, as I look back on my life, I wish I had some videos of when my kids were little and they were climbing all over, or I'd be on stage and one of mine would start climbing up under my skirt, <laughs> or I'd have times when everybody would be so noisy, I would just go, could everybody just be quiet for five minutes? I wish I had all that um, so people could see the reality of what our life was like with small kids. It is really easy to look like wonderful parents when all your kids are grown and doing well. It makes us look wonderful. But we want to talk about what is family. Family is the people that you grew up with and the people that you're doing life with right now. Family is people who are helping you mature but you are also helping to mature. It goes both ways. I learned so much from raising kids, and I matured in so many ways. They taught me a lot. So when we're in relationships with people, it really is a two-way street. Family can be the most damaging thing in our life, or it can be the most healing and encouraging place we can be. And we have an opportunity to not only be healed, but to bring healing to those within our family around us. Families may be the people you've chosen to be in your life, or they may be people who happen to be there by, random, by the randomness at birth. So families are your kids, your parents, your siblings, but they are, and most importantly, they are the family of God. They are the body of Christ. This is your family. 
Jesus said while he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But the one who had told him this, to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is your family. We're going to talk today a lot about parenting, mainly because every Sunday morning, one-third of our attendants here are children 12 and under. We have an abnormal amount of children. In other words, family, you're having a lot of kids, <laughs> and that's a good thing. But we feel like even as we talk about family and kids, it's going to be up applicable to other areas and other relationships as well. In this series, we're springboarding um, out of a statement uh, Pastor Mark shared last week uh, from Alexander Smeeman. Um, say that a bunch of times really fast. Smeeman. Um, <laughs> the, uh, he's an influential Orthodox Christian priest, teacher, and writer. And in his book, For the Life of the World, he wrote, the real sin of marriage today is not adultery or lack of adjustment or mental cruelty. It is the idolization of family itself. The refusal to understand marriage as directed toward the kingdom of God. This is expressed in the sentiment that one would do anything for his family, even steal. The family has here ceased to be for the glory of God. It has ceased to be a sacramental entrance into his presence. It is not the lack of respect for the family. It is the idolization of the family that breaks the modern family so easily, making divorce its almost natural shadow. Now, Janice and I started uh, ministry as pastors and counselors in 1982. We're sneaking up on 40 years of this, and we've spent our life uh, dedicated to trying to help all kinds of family, whether it's marriage, uh, parents, family, church families, try to find life-giving ways to, to live with one another. And how do we extend the love of God into each other's lives? And that's what we spent our life doing. And so when I very first uh, read this quote, it kind of took me off guard just a bit because I deal a lot <laughs> with broken trust in relationships. I deal a lot with poor adjustment, um, with lack of skills and understanding, with even um, anger and, and mental cruelty. But as I read it more closely, it struck a chord in my understanding of where this all starts and how each of these things that are broken, uh, what they come out of. Now, we love family in all of its forms, and we could talk about this all day, but you didn't come here to sit all day. And so we're tasked with about 30 minutes of trying to hit some highlights. And so we want to talk about three main principles or, or qualities of understanding on how we move forward as families. Number one, life is not about perfection. It's about process and progress. Life is not about perfection. 
It's about process and progress. There's an Old Testament scripture that has captured our imagination in regards to how we have seen people deal with all kinds of things in their life. Um, it's, it's one that we kind of frame our understanding of even counseling, the counseling that we do. It's how we understand discipleship and, and change and, and uh, habits and new life in people's life. And it's Exodus 23, 27. Listen clearly. It says, I will send, this is God speaking to the children of Israel. It says, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. To have the life God has called us to, to be the people that God has called us to be, takes work and it takes process. But we don't like that. We want abracadabra, I'm fine and I have a perfect life and everything's perfect. But when you look at the children of Israel and God gave them a promised land full of enemies, I don't understand that. But I believe it was because he knew as they fought the enemies, as they cleared out the land, they were developing obedience, patience, trust, and so many other things. So we have times in our lives, most of our lives, that we have to recognize life is a series of step by step. It takes time and it takes energy. And that doesn't mean you're messing something up. It means you're right where you're supposed to be. We work a lot with parents who have this sense about what they want for their children, which is which comes from a good place. It comes from a good heart. But we have these such high expectations of what we want for them and what we want them to achieve and how they, what we want them to live. When they don't do exactly what we want, we start freaking out. Um, and we start dealing, feeling like a failure or what happened or where did I go wrong? And, and it begins to break down um, the fiber of what God intended here. Um, none of us are perfect parents. You know, God is the only perfect parent. And many of his kids don't do right. He's the perfect parent. And most of his kids, many of his kids rebel every day. And so for us to expect that everything's going to go perfectly with our kids is setting ourselves for unrealistic um, uh, expectations. And we're going to, it's going to end in discouragement. And we're going to take it out on ourselves or our children. In the prodigal son story, one of the understandings we have of that is that the father is Father God. Again, perfect parent. His kid comes to him and says, I don't want to do your way anymore. I, 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 don't, I, don't, want, I don't like the path that, that you're leading here. I want to do it my way. And so now I, I know there had to be a little bit more to this story. Certainly the dad had to have a chat with, with this son and go, son, this is not a good plan. Uh, this is not going to go well for you. This is a bad idea. Um, but the perfect parent had to let the son make his own decision. He had to release him and let him go. And he didn't go and check on him and follow up on him. He, he, he let him go. So here, the perfect parent, his, his child is going um, off track. Again, we trust and believe in the grace of God. And he's always ready for the child to come back. Um, 
but it's, it's not about the, uh, he didn't set himself up that, that he was dependent, um, success was dependent on whether his children acted perfectly. Now studies do suggest, for many of you parents and your kids are doing some things that you're not thrilled about, studies do suggest that most kids by the age of 30 come back to the values of their family. And so there is hope there, but there's not a guarantee. One of the scriptures that I think we've taken um, and misunderstood is Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I had a pastor in my office recently, and he was just distraught. Um, he came from really dis difficult background, and, and he had come to Christ, and he and his wife lived their life in, in ministry and caring for others. And, and he has a child who's going off, off the planet, and he is so angry. He is so angry at God. How did you let this happen? He's starting to question himself. He's so angry at his kid. This is a principle, not a promise. We've taken this as a promise that it will always happen. Yes, your guidance, your love, your unconditional love, your care, your discipline, all of your effort is critically important. But there's no guarantees here. There's no guarantees that it's going to work out exactly the way um, that you want it to. It is a principle, and we need to lean into that, and we need to do our very best at how we care and, and, and lead our children. But it's not about perfection. We get the opportunity to work with a lot of families, and my, my siblings growing up always told me that my life was good because I saw all their mistakes and I didn't do it their way. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think that's been one of the benefits of being counselors for years, too, going back 35 years, is we've been able to observe a lot of different families. One of the mistakes that we see a lot of families make, and I struggled with myself, is trying to be the perfect parent. Kids' lives and activities become more important than anything else. It's easy to get caught up in that idea of, I need to give my child every opportunity so they can be successful. And that often involves spending most of our time driving our kids to and from lessons and games and practices and having very little time with them individually or time at home as a family to have family dinners. And so as I was thinking about this, I thought of several cultural myths that I think we all kind of buy into that we need to recognize them as myths. The first one is, I have to start my child in sports early if he's going to be like Tom Brady or whoever your favorite athlete is. The truth is, if you gave birth to the new Tom Brady, you're going to know that right away. <laughs> They're going to show those signs in toddlerhood. And so it's not putting them in basketball when they're four. Thank you. They're gonna see, you're going to see that right away. And what I found is if you wait and don't put them in sports until a little bit later, they still excel if they have those gifts. It doesn't hurt them to wait. Their natural ability will come out, and you don't have to stress yourself over putting them in earlier. The next one is good parents should be at every game and every activity. I had four kids. I had to fight through this one. Our relationship with our spouse, our friends, 
our God, our church, our work are also very important. Many marriages get neglected because parents are so busy taking kids everywhere that they don't get to work on their own relationship. The best thing you can do for your child is to have a good and healthy marriage. Sometimes we need to let them go in a carpool to practice or to a game. And they learn from that. They learn that we have lives too. And what we're teaching them is the world does not revolve totally around them. We are a group together. And so everyone needs to have their own schedule. And that means sometimes we have to sacrifice some things. Um, perfect parents, their myth, perfect parents sacrifice everything for their child. The truth is we are called to sacrifice for the good of our child. If we are taking all of our money and our resources to buy the latest gadget, the latest toy, and putting it all on credit cards, we are not doing what's best for our child. When we teach our child to live within our means, that helps them grow and develop. In fact, we do a great job, or we do a great job. We have a great opportunity to help our kids learn about finances in our daily interactions with them. I remember our kids really wanted to stop at Quick Trip every day after school. So every day it would be, can we go to Quick Trip? Can we go to Quick Trip? And I'd go, guys, we went yesterday. We can't go every single day. And then they would pull out the, why? Are we poor? Do we not have enough money? And I would say, no, we have enough money. But it's, we choose what we spend our money on. And Quick Trip is not a priority for us this week. Mm -hmm. So we get the opportunity to teach them that. Will you open my water for me? Um, so how do we grow a healthy family? This is really hard for me because, thank you, I do parenting classes and I want to do the whole thing this morning and I'm not going to. <laughs> I cut paragraphs out. But in, but in parenting classes, I tell people, you have to recognize who you have. Having children is like raising a flower garden. And you have different types of flowers in your garden. Some of you have sunflowers, and you tossed out the seeds, and they grow up strong and healthy and look fantastic, and you don't have to do anything. And you're the ones that give other people parenting advice, and you write the parenting books. <laughs> Some of the other ones of you have vines. And those vines grow and grow and grow. And if you're not careful, they're going to take over the garden. So you have to put a trellis up or you have to put structure up. And sometimes you have to prune them back so that there's space in the garden for everyone. And then some of you have impatience. And if you have impatience in Oklahoma in August, you can walk outside and they look dead. They're just like laying over, like, water me, I'm dying. And so they need a lot of extra care and attention, and you have to water them and water them. But you guys know, if you put a little water on them, they spring back to life, and they're okay. They're not permanently damaged. So we have to know what we have in our garden and be sensitive to each of the children and be sensitive to how they're interacting with one another and the family as a whole. But to parent each child as an individual, sometimes it doesn't get other people's approval. 
Sometimes we don't look like the model parent when we are parenting our child for what they need. And that's hard on us because we want other people to think we're amazing parents. Our youngest son, Spencer, did not want to go to school. And uh, he was in a small private Christian school. And so when he went to K-4, he wanted to wear a do-rag every day to school. Now, he was a blonde, (laughs) blue-eyed little boy, but he loved Deion Sanders. That was like his favorite football player. So he wore a bandana, a do-rag, every single day to K-4. And I would have parents go, well, that's interesting. Um, Why is he doing that? And I mean, you know what? It works for him. It doesn't hurt anything. It's okay. It doesn't matter what other people think if you're doing what's right for your child. Sometimes people will actually think what you're doing is absolutely wrong. I will have parents come in all the time and they say, okay, should I make him stay in soccer? or piano, or whatever. I mean, isn't it right to make the child stay in something because they committed to it? Yes and no. It depends on the age of the child, and it depends on the child. We have to discern in every situation. So it may be if you've got an 11-year-old, and he's always signing up for things, and he starts things and stops them and starts them and stops them, sure, you may need to say, ah, sorry, bud, we paid the money. You're going to stay in through this, because he needs to learn that consistency and the discipline, whether he likes it or not. But if you have a 7-year-old, and he gets on a team, and the kids that are there are rude, rowdy kids, and they are leading your child astray, and you don't want him in that, or if the child's overly stressed because he has way too many commitments and he can't handle one more thing, then it may be okay if he wants to to quit to say, yeah, go ahead. We overcommitted. It's okay if you back out. But it's discerning what's right for each child. And that involves we need to pray. The best thing you can do for your family is spend time in prayer for them. When our kids were little, I would pray every day and say, Lord, what does this child need today? And sometimes it would be, this one needs a little more affection. You need to give them a few more hugs, be there. Maybe this one really does need an algebra tutor. It would help them if they had that. Or sometimes it would be, you know, that 16-year-old daughter, those shoes she wants, she does need those. She wants those right now, and it would help her feel loved and valued. Now, at another time, not so much. So you don't say, get your kid all the things they want so they'll feel loved and valued. It's listening to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has for each child. He knows and loves your child even more than you do, hard as that is to imagine. And so he knows what's best for that child. The important thing we do is we listen to what he is saying and we listen to what's right for our kids. I think for many of us, the opinions of others are way too important. How we look as a parent is way too important. I think it's easy to worry about looking like a good family and miss out on being a godly family. We wanna keep our hearts focused towards what God has for us and for our family. 
The second principle, um, or the first principle, it's not about perfection. It's about trusting the process and making progress. The second principle is you will have no other gods before me. Now, that sounds like a little bit more than a principle, doesn't it? Um, you recognize that as the first commandment. I think that that was probably put first because it's probably the hardest one for us to follow. Uh, it sneaks up in our life um, in ways that we don't even recognize. Now, most of you are probably not at home in your garage carving out wooden idols um, to sit around your house and worship, okay? Um, but God's design is that we would find our essence, who we are as a person, our sense of value, our sense of purpose, our sense of security in our relationship with him. The whole plan was that he would love us and that we would find a sense of fulfillment in that. And out of that love that we would then love another and they would then love another. But this is, but this is difficult. God knows that this is difficult for us. This is about finding our essence in someone that we can't touch, that we can't see, that we can't literally hear his voice. voice. It's, it's faith in someone, believing in something that is there that we can't yet touch and feel, and that's where we're supposed to find our essence. That's why this is really, really difficult. And so one of the places that we look first is to family, is to those people around us. Because I can see them, I can touch them, I can hear their voice, I can even manipulate them, I can, I can shame them into trying to get, get, get my needs met. And so we try to get our needs met from our spouses. We try to get our spouses to do stuff that our spouses were never intended to do. We try to get validation from our children in ways that our children um, were never intended to give it to us. Um, and so we live through them on the football field or, or at the math competition or their leaders in our youth group or whatever. And so we, that gives us a sense of pride and validation. And, and uh, we're looking too much there. We look for friends to make us happy. We, we can even look for our church um, to do too much, to feed us perfect spiritual food laced with a lot of humor and perfect, you know, um, eloquence. Um, we can look for um, our church to train our children up perfectly and do, meet all of our social needs. And so we're looking for people to do things that they were never intended to do. It eventually ends up in idolatry. I tell people, if you are not finding at least 51%, I just, just because that's a majority, if you're not finding at least 51% of your sense of security, your sense of validation in life from your intimacy with Christ, you're in trouble. You're going to find you're going to be looking for love in the wrong place. You're going to be looking for, for things that were never designed to give you satisfaction. This started in the beginning. This is not a new phenomenon. This started in the beginning. Uh, we have Adam and Eve in the garden, this, the Adam and Eve story, where they are finding their sense of peace and fulfillment and their security and who they are in, in God. Uh, then they have each other to share that love with each other. And then we have the fall. We have this decision. That's not enough. We need, we need to control this. We need to do this ourselves. And so they go on their way. And we see these very interesting things. It's, it even comes out a little bit differently in men and women, we found. Now, this is a generality, but we, you know, it, it says that Adam then, it says that men will toil by the sweat of their brow. 
And so we find that when men get this out of balance, when they don't have this sense of security in who they are in Christ, we tend to look towards our work, our accomplishments, how much money we make. Uh, we look for that for validation. For we, we tend towards workaholism then. We see in women, it says that after the fall, it says that your, your desire will be for your husband. And so, so we see this tendency if women get out of, out of balance where that essence of who they are is not fulfilled in their intimacy with God, they tend to have dependency issues. They're looking for spouse or children, relationships to do more than they were designed to do. We, we see this show up in marriage. We see where uh, married couples trying to find ways of getting their needs met. We we've kind of find it on a continuum. We find some people um, go into a, into a sort of passivity that my whole role in life is just to make other people happy. I'm going to do everything that I can to make other people happy because when they're happy, they treat me nice, and then I'm happy. Uh, very underground, kind of an indirect way of getting our needs met, and eventually we find ourselves not very happy because it's, it's not healthy. Or then we have the other end of the continuum where people are going to make sure their needs get met. I will tell you how you need to act. Um, and if you don't do it right, you're going to get in big trouble. And I'm going to stay on you until you do it right. And so on one end, we have passivity. On the other end, we have control. Both of those are idolatry. Mm -hmm. It's trying to f manipulate and get people to meet certain needs in our life in ways that they were never fashioned uh, to satisfy us. So what am I saying? Does that mean that we don't get any of our needs met in, in human relationships? I'm not suggesting that at all. It's going to be the most significant place where we find uh, outside of our relationship with God, um, our spouse and our children, our close friends. That's the, the most significant place that we're going to get those needs met. But we have to understand and recognize and keep in mind that we are put in families not just to get our needs met. We are put in families to actually get to practice what it means and looks look like to be more um, like Christ. We get to practice selflessness. <laughs> we get to practice sacrifice. We get to practice loving the others first. And when we orient ourselves in that way, that somehow forms us and fashions us more um, in, into the image of Christ. It's not about getting our needs met, even though some certainly are going to get met when we walk this out appropriately. I think the idea of perfectionism and idol really go hand in hand. Because I think as a part of our culture, we have this idol of being perfect. Perfect family, perfect house, perfect kids, perfect yard, perfect dog. We want everything to be perfect. I confess, I look at Pinterest and I get the gimmies. You know, give me this, give me that. Uh, and so we have to recognize if we are not careful that that perfectionism can become an idol. So it's not about perfectionism. We've got to guard, and we have to guard ourselves from um, idolatry. The third principle, or final principle, is pay attention to what you're forming. We are all being formed into being a certain kind of people um, by the habits that we follow. Either good habits or bad habits are forming us to, into being a certain kind of people. Uh, the principle is that more is caught than taught. That in our families, your little people around you are watching. They're watching and imitating. We tell people um, every day that you will either duplicate, duplicate what you came from 
which is the natural tendency, whether it's good or bad, or if it's not good, you're going to have to work really hard. You're going to have to realize, okay, that's not good. I don't want to do that. And you're going to have to work really hard at changing your focus and doing it a different way. Because our tendency is we are being formed into being that kind of people. And so you are forming others into being a certain kind of people um, by the habits that you have. And so your kids are watching and they're catching. Um, and they are little sponges and they are imitating what you do, which is just pretty darn scary, isn't it? Um, the fact that they see everything around us. Jesus did this. He didn't just teach his disciples principles. There were moments where he taught them a principle or told them a story, but mostly they just walked with him. They followed him. They walked from town to town and, and they watched what he did and they were, were being formed in that. And so maybe trying to get a family devotions um, every Saturday night, you know, jammed down your kid's throat. I said that in kind of a negative way, didn't I? Um, sometimes when we try to do these things that we're, we should be doing this or we should be doing that, sometimes comes across to our kids as we're kind of forcing it on them, and then you're going to get some rebellion from that. But every time that they see you pray, whether it's over a meal where we're just being thankful whether it's before they go to bed at night, or whether they notice that when our family has challenges and problems, is we pray, is we talk about that. Every time you do that, they see this is, this is what we do. We're dependent on God. We can't do all of this ourselves. Every time that you look to the scripture on your own, or maybe you share something just spontaneously, which we found is the most powerful way that you get messages into your children is by just sharing spontaneously. Hey, I saw this. The Lord taught me this last night in the scripture. I was dealing with this situation where we're being more open and, and, we, and they see that happening. The fact that you got up and got here today, and I would love to hear your story of what happened, you, you parents with kids, before you got here. It would be quite colorful. We remember one of the worst times on the planet was Sunday morning trying to get our kids up and get them to church. Sometimes the last place you want to be is, is to get up. You know, there's lots of other things you'd like to be doing on a Sunday morning, but you got here. That they see that this is a consistent rhythm in your life, that this is what we do, that we're part of a family. We're part of a body uh, and that we need to be there, not just so we can get something out of it, but we need to look to who we can care for there. And, the, and, the, and you're looking for other people, and you're seeking people out, and you're caring for them. That's what begins to form um, our children. When my kids were little, I would try to get up really early in the morning to pray. And so I'd get up really early, kept setting it earlier and earlier, and I would be in our formal living room, and our son Spencer would get up every single time. I would tiptoe. I would do anything I could. I'd have a noise machine on so he would stay asleep, but he would still get up every single day and lay on the carpet beside me while I was praying and reading my Bible. And one time I was like, hey, bud, um, why are you getting up this early? And he said, I like to lay in this room because I know this is where you talk to God. They know what's going on. They see what your life is. So we can give them a good example in how we live. That same, that same son, which if you know Spencer, this is not necessarily his tendency. Um, but we were, we were going out on a date one night and, uh, 
uh, which we've made as just a rhythm in our in our practice, and and we know what it's like to have four kids, and and you know where you've had you haven't had as much time as you wanted to spend time with your kids that week, and then we're going to go out on the date, and and one of our our, our youngest children um, was I think it was one of those days where one of them grabbed a hold of my leg, and I was dragging them across the kitchen floor, you know, trying to get out to the to the to the garage, and the same son said, it's okay, um, we know that you guys will never get a divorce because you go out on dates. <laughs> Somehow he just picked that up. He could tell we liked each other, and we liked spending time together. Healthy, secure kids come from healthy, secure marriages. So it's these daily rhythms, these daily habits. I remember watching my dad sitting on the edge of the bed every Sunday morning writing out his tithe check. That's how I learned to give when I was a little kid. I saw my dad doing it. I I knew that this was a rhythm that they did. He taught, he, he didn't have to teach me that principle. I watched I watched him do that. So the conversations that you have, the fact that we talk about depending on God, uh, the fact that we have those rhythms in our life is what these little sponges um, will catch on and, and begins to form them. One of the things I noticed this week when we were preparing or that I thought about was our staff is pretty much, I think entirely, either pastor's kids or parents of people who were the pillar of the church that you would think they were staff. And I think that's why they will jump in and do anything. If they walk in and there's trash on the floor, they're going to pick up the trash on the floor. They're going to stay to get things cleaned up. I always say pastor's kids are the people you want to do almost everything because they're so responsible. And they'll stay there until it's done. They have seen their parents do that over and over and over again. And so it's so ingrained in them that that's what they do when they become adults. Another thing that I have to get in because I want to do a whole parenting seminar (laughs) is we found that everybody needs structure. Not rigidity, but structure. Because again, you have to look at what's in your garden and what they need. But the thing that will revolutionize your life if you have small children is a consistent bedtime. This is the time everyone goes to bed. And we are not going to stay up until your three-year-old gets sleepy. Because you'll be exhausted, you'll be cranky with each other, and you'll have no time in the evening. So having a structured time is good for everyone. Older kids having a time when we get quiet at this time of night. There's no more rowdiness. Everything gets very quiet in our house at this time of life or this time of night. That gives good structure to the family. And for all of us, and I'm really going to step on toes, is there's time to shut off social media. There's times to no longer answer our phones or take texts. But we just say we are done for the night and things are going to be quiet. It will change your life if you add that in there. But the one thing all kids and all adults need is to know that they are loved and valued by God and also by you. John Trent wrote a book, uh, The Gift of the Blessing. It's one of my favorite books. But one of the things that he says is everyone needs to know they have a positive past, a positive present, and a positive future. Every child needs to know they were loved and they were wanted, 
even if their birth was in not the best circumstances, you can still say God chose you for us. We're so grateful for that. You're so good at this now. And I can see you being a wonderful parent in the future. So it's speaking loving and positively to everyone in our family, their past, their present, and their future. So as we close here, remember life is about learning and growing along the way, not perfection. The best way to fight idolatry in our life is to look to God as the first look. John 4.10, um, a woman at the well is talking to him and he answers, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then finally, we're formed by our habits. Watch and pay attention to what you're forming. And finally, the beautiful thing about family, you know, because we, we've talked about some structure and some things to consider not doing and be careful of. The wonderful thing about family is when you find your sense of self, your sense of who you are in your intimacy with Christ, and you find that, that fact that you're a reflection of him, you're a beautiful reflection, you've been made in the image of God, you're a beautiful reflection of him in the world. When you find that and get into that flow, you're going to find that your family is going to be a blessing. That what you receive back from heaven, that when you give, are able to pass on the love that you have received and you're able to pass that on to others. What you get blessed back from heaven and what you get blessed back from those family members around you will bless you more than you can ever imagine. There'll be so much in that that it will literally be hard to contain. But it's how we lead first and how we lean into... Um, um, allowing God to flow through us to be able to do that. So God, we trust you in these moments. We thank you for this wonderful group, this family of, of God here. We thank you that we get to do life together, that we get to hang out with each other, that we learn from each other, that we get to share um, our needs and our successes with one another. We thank you that you have a vision for each and every family here, uh, for each and every friendship, for each and every marriage, for each and every um, group of, of children and grandchildren and legacy that is here, that you have a vision in your heart to bless them in ways that they will not be able to contain. And so we trust your leading, we trust your blessing, we trust that you guide and protect them. In Jesus' name, 